When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we have a super fun topic. We're going to talk about reflux and gas and constipation. No, not for you, the pregnant person, although you likely have that too. And not for you, the postpartum person. Again, you might have that too, but for your baby, for your newborn. So we're going to talk about what are the signs of gas and reflux. Constipation is pretty obvious. And then what are some ways to alleviate that? And then we're going to also talk about how might the breastfeeding parent's diet influence a baby being gassy. So we have a lot to go over and I love practical information because you'll walk away from this conversation with some practical information, some tips to help your baby. Now, to have this conversation, I have Hilary Sadler. She is a nurse, a lactation consultant, an author, and a mom of four. And her mission is to help parents find their groove and overcome the overwhelming days and nights that can steal the joys of parenthood. She's got a lot of great info, and I'm really excited for you to jump in and learn this. It will help just have an easier parenthood time if you can help your baby overcome gas and reflux and constipation. Now, before we get to that, just want to give some stuff going on at PYC. So again, we're plowing forward with our online classes and our in-studio classes. In fact, we will be adding some in-studio classes because some of our classes are consistently selling out on the weekend. And that's your message that you need more. So we'll give you more. So keep an eye out for more in-studio classes. And of course, we offer our online classes seven days a week. We have live stream, but we also have re-release because we know that we have people in our community that cannot make the times that we offer the live stream. So check out the re-releases because you have that for over 24 hours. I think it's a little over 24 hours. And that means that you can have a new class delivered to your email box every single day by myself and some of the other amazing teachers. So check that out. Now, we also have folks that are tuning in that are not pregnant or postpartum, but are yoga teachers interested in deepening their education with prenatal yoga. So if that is you and you are ready to dive into a very in-depth, fun and exciting, I think it's exciting, course, check out our online prenatal yoga center teacher training. And of course we have it in person once a year. Um, I believe this year it's in the spring, so you can check that out. So if you want to get to know our methodology and understand why we teach what we teach, please check that out. And then the last thing I want to offer is that we have a free downloadable guide for, I call it the five simple solutions to the most common aches and pains, pregnancy aches and pains. So if you can't make it to class and you just need a quick fix for backache, shoulder ache, hip ache, grab that from our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. And then you can just print it out, stick it on your fridge. And when you need some help, you've got it there. 
Okay, we're going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Hillary. Hi, Hillary. How are you? Hey, great. Thanks for having me on here. Absolutely. I'm really excited. This is an odd topic to be like, I'm excited to talk about gas and reflux, but I am because I know as when I had babies, it was a point of stress of like, what's going on with them. And when I discovered you, I thought this lady knows what she's talking about. So I'm really excited to dive into this topic. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is a topic that I talk about every day. So <laughs> I definitely, um, this will feel very easy. It's a very easy topic for me to to talk about. Perfect. So let's start with just learning a little bit about you and what led you into your work as a labor and delivery nurse and a lactation consultant? Yeah. So I, everything started after my first baby. My, I have four kids. My oldest will be 12 in November and my youngest just turned one in July. Um, so yeah. So prior to my first baby, I was not a nurse. I definitely wasn't a lactation consultant. Didn't really know anything about anything related to babies. Um, but I fell in love with birth and the labor experience um, and just moms and just motherhood is such a gift, um, but it is such a journey. Um, I didn't have the support I needed from the perinatal medical health focused or just community in general after my first baby. Um, And so I I left what I thought was my life's calling to become a labor and delivery nurse because I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life like in this season, but I knew my husband wasn't going to be on board with us having a baby every year. (laughs) Out of curiosity, what did you do before? So this is going to sound crazy, but I actually rode horses professionally. Um, I did hunter, I grew up riding horses and I was a um, professional, um, trainer. Um, I trained people and I trained horses. Um, and I did that for, I grew up doing that, but then I did that professionally for about six years. Um, and then went to what nursing a change. school. It was, a, <laughs> it was a massive change, but honestly, like after our first child, I just remember looking at my life and just thinking, first of all, I, I literally couldn't think of anyone in that profession that was still like happily married and had a great family life in their forties or fifties, at least the, the people that I was the circle I was in. Um, and I realized that all the hours I was spending in the afternoons, teaching other people's kids with their extracurricular activities and on the weekends, if I was stayed in this profession, like I wasn't going to be able to have that for my own family. Mm. Um, so it kind of, it lined up and then I just fell in love with, moms and babies and just being this first year postpartum. Oh, wow. Um, So I, I wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse. So I spent the first five years as a nurse, as a labor nurse, I went right into labor and delivery, um, went to nursing school specifically to be a labor and delivery nurse. And everyone told me, oh, you can't do that. You need to do med surge or do something else. But I, I was not willing to do something else. I ended up getting a L and D job right as a, as a new grad nurse. And it was very fast paced and challenging, but I really loved it. Um, but then I realized that I really wanted to do more to help moms and babies that I wanted to be a part of, you know, that growth that happens outside of that birth experience, you know, in the hospital or at home or wherever you're birthing. I I just really wanted to be involved with that whole first year postpartum because I personally struggled with breastfeeding and mental health and the postpartum days. And I just really had a deep desire to do 
everything I could to help other moms not feel the way that, that I had felt. Mm. Wow. That is quite the journey. And I love that you're so open to wherever people birth and supporting them that way. So thank you for including that. Absolutely. All right. So let's dive in because as a lactation consultant, I'm sure what, how babies are feeling and what the birthing parent eats and digests and stuff affects how babies GI tract goes. So let's jump into gas or reflux and what to do about it. So I guess we should start with what exactly is reflux and what are some of the signs a baby has reflux? So reflux is pretty common in the early newborn days. Um, just because of that circular ring of muscle called the lower esophageal sphincter, that's immature and it allows the content. So kind of think of it as a flap it allows the contents to come back up and then out of the mouth and sometimes the nose. And that is more, you see it a lot with like premature babies and specifically in the newborn days. Um, so, but just because it's common doesn't mean that it's not a problem. The real question is, is it a problem? And the answer, you know, how we find that answer is, is your baby uncomfortable? And if your baby is uncomfortable, then it's a problem. Um, so that's, you know, does that answer your question? It does. So I've never, when you said out of the nose, I never knew that. So oh, yeah. So it's like spit up that comes out of the nose. Yeah. I mean, when it comes back up, depending on how forceful it is, um, it can, it can come back up out of the mouth and the nose, um, huh. which that's, you know, and that's typically more, um, like a more serious reflux or even the force of the contents coming back up is part of identifying, is this a problem or not? Because babies breathe out of their newborns, breathe out of their nose. So if they have contents coming back up out of their nose, then that's a real problem. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, okay. I have more questions about this because now you got me thinking. So how is a parent telling what's normal spit up or is there normal spit up and what's reflux? So I, I would say you have to look at your baby. Um, if your baby is happy, content, their body language is comfortable. By that, I mean, they're not, and it can be hard. I see this every day with, with families that I work with. If they've never had a baby before, then they don't really know. They think this is normal. This is the only baby they've had their hands on. But like when I'm in in my office, I can put my hands on a baby and know immediately that this baby is not comfortable just based on the tension that they're holding in their body. Right. And so like reflux, that's, that's not a problem is a baby that is sleeping well between feeds, um, is not tense and rigid is not, you know, the only thing we really see is that they are spitting up and, and they're happy. Like they don't get upset. They don't spit arch up and back. reflux are different. So technically, technically, <laughs> I mean, technically it's all under one umbrella. I mean, you would say the act of spit up coming up is reflux. So okay. like vomit is more of like forceful projectile. Like you can imagine when you vomit, it's not, yeah. a, that is uncomfortable for anybody. Yeah. So spit up is more of like, it technically spit up is reflux. It's more of identifying 
you know, are, are we, do we have reflux and is it really GERD? Like, do we have a baby that is uncomfortable? Um, are they uncomfortable with their reflux? Is this causing issues to their esophagus? Are they, is it causing issues with, with sleep? Are they swallowing a bunch of air when they're feeding? So I don't, I know it's hard. It's this hard thing to kind of put your finger on, but at the end of the day, what I always tell the families I work with is if you have a baby who is happy, content, they're not, they're not really, you know, they're not crying for, you know, all babies cry, but they're easy to console. They spit up. It's no big deal. You can tell by their body language that it doesn't bother them and they're gaining weight adequately. Then it's probably not a problem. And we, it's, it's not a problem. And we just continue on. There wow. are the list of, is, is it a problem is super long. Um, but I will, I will tell you that weight is not the only indicator of whether it's a problem or not. If the baby's not gaining weight, then yes, it is a problem. But even if they are gaining weight, that doesn't mean that reflux is not a problem. So what are some of the signs? So take the weight out, but what are some of the signs that the reflux is a problem? Because I remember my kids, like they would be sitting there like, you know, little babies, happy, happy. And then all of a like a little spit just comes out of their mouth and yet they're still happy. Like they're still smiling and yet there's like breast milk falling down yes. their face or if they're on their belly, it's like now on the mat. Now they're going to roll on the mat. And now they're going to spit up in their face. So that seems like not a problem. So what would some of the signs be that this is a problem? Yeah. So that like you just described is more of a laundry problem, right? Like their yeah. clothes, that's, that's like a laundry problem. The problem yeah. is when they are, it's interrupting sleep. Um, they're having coughing events because, mm. you know, imagine your baby's laying there somewhere and all of a sudden they start choke, you know, not choking, like we think of choking, but essentially choking on the contents that came back up have now gone back down yeah. know, their windpipe, um, arching their back, um, if it's interrupting sleep and feeding, feeding, because sometimes you'll have a baby that starts to associate reflux with feeding because it's happening right after a feeding mm. or, and then they don't want to feed. And then that's where we can kind of get into that weight gain issue. Um, so really that is, you know, I think the the scenario you described is the pinpoint, like this is not a problem. Everything else you know, there's varying degrees of what type of problem it is, but everything else could kind of be viewed as a problem, any other symptoms. Mm. So what are some ways to alleviate reflux? So the first thing that you want to do is ensure that your baby is getting quality feeds because it is, it is, has to do with anatomy and how we talked about that circular muscle and that, you know, it can be normal, but the other big cause of reflux is air and your baby swallowing air. And mm. typically that comes from the quality of feeding. So whether you are breastfeeding, bottle feeding, you know, using a supplemental nursing system, whatever way you're feeding your baby, you want to make sure that the latch on the breast, the bottle, your finger, you know, whatever it is, you want to make sure that it is a good seal and that your baby is not swallowing excessive air while they are feeding. Mm. Um, and that kind of goes back to like the crying and swallow when a baby is crying because they're uncomfortable because they are experiencing reflux, then they're swallowing a bunch of air when they're crying. And then you go to feed them on top of all of that air in their belly. And then that makes them more uncomfortable. It's just, right. it can be this cycle. Um, but if you've ensured, you know, 
So my recommendation would be to work with a feeding specialist in your area to really make sure that that piece of the puzzle is addressed first, because Mm -hmm. I would say that in my experience, nine times out of 10, if we can fix that piece, then the reflux over time, you know, once we get past these first six weeks or so, and the baby has, is matured a little bit and that, you know, muscle is a little bit stronger, then hopefully reflux will kind of go away or become less obvious. Um, And then the other thing that you can do in the moment is just offering smaller, more frequent feedings throughout the day. Um, And then we know that when they have that period of rest on their belly, that a lot of these babies can actually get some better sleep because they're not experiencing as much reflux. So Mm -hmm. that can be tricky when you have, you know, when you, (laughs) when you have a little baby, because we know that they need a certain amount of volume and feeds per day. Um, But smaller, more frequent feeds during the day is helpful. And then actually sucking on a pacifier or a finger, finger or something, just that sucking and soothing actually does help a baby that is, is having reflux. So what about, I remember, <laughs> this is a little antiquated because my kids are a little older, but I was always told, like, keep them upright for a little bit. Is there, is that still something to think about? Absolutely. Thank you for, that is definitely, <laughs> that's one I forgot. But yes, for sure. If you can keep them upright for 15 or 20 minutes after a feeding, um, that is really helpful. I think avoiding diaper changes right after feedings, because you may not, think about it, but you know, when you lay them, lay them down, rat, yeah. And then also just the movement of bringing their legs up, you know, how you lift their legs to change yeah. a diaper, like that puts pressure on their belly. Try not to put them in a car seat right after a feeding. Cause that puts pressure on the belly. Um, but absolutely. That's a great, that is definitely still applicable and recommended. Oh, that's so interesting that you said not to do a diaper change. Cause I remember the middle of the night doing a feeding and then I don't think I really did 15, 20 minutes in the middle of the night because I wanted to go back to bed, but I am very type A. So I have everything laid out ahead of time. So when my son woke up, cause we were in a small one bedroom at that time, I would take him into the living room. I had everything laid out, like, you know, to do diaper change. I'd feed him, change his diaper and then put him back. And I know at that time I didn't keep him upright. So what about like in the middle of the night when I was always told do a diaper change before putting them back? Yeah, that's that is generally not not my recommendation. Um, if okay. you have a if you have a baby that is a happy spitter that we is more of that laundry problem and they're not really having these um, symptoms of 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 you know the more severe reflux or the reflux that really makes them uncomfortable, then I think yeah. just put you don't have to use the upright recommendation. But really, so we actually focus a lot on sleep and routine as well with our practice at baby settler. Um, but the diaper change after feeds actually stimulates them and will wake them up because if you think a lot of babies cry, so then it's actually harder to get them to sleep. So we always recommend doing a diaper change before or during, uh, like if you're switching sides or you're halfway yes, through your I model. think I did it that way because my lactation yes. called it the dessert. She's like, get yes. the entree done, change the yes. diaper, give them the dessert. Love <laughs> it. Like yes. going for the other breast. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that is that is absolutely um, what I would recommend as well, for sure. Uh, that's making more sense. So thank you. Again, my kids are older. So some of this could just be like crazy talk at this point. All right. No. So let's talk about gas. I 
I feel yes. like it's still a topic my kids talk about because um, they think farting is hilarious. So, <laughs> so what exactly is gas and what are some of the signs to look for for a baby that has gas? Well, I say all babies probably have some gas, but like like a problematic gas situation. Yeah. So I think it it goes back to, are they uncomfortable? So a baby that is really kind of wiggling and just uncomfortable, their body language, they're not, they're not just hanging out, you know, it depends on the age, like a newborn baby in the first 12 weeks of their life. They're typically after feeds, they're just going to be relaxed and just kind of hanging out. If you have a baby that is wiggly or uncomfortable, that's a sign. Um, if you have a baby that you know is hungry, but they're struggling to latch either on the bottle or the breast or like they're, they're latching on and they're kind of feeding for a few minutes and then they're unlatching. And that's what I hear a lot. I hear that a lot with moms and dads that they'll start a feed and like, they know the baby's hungry. It's time for them to feed, but they just can't get coordinated. And they're, Mm. it's just like, they're, they want to feed, but they can't feed that. Usually as I'm having that discussion with parents, we'll hear a lot of gas, um, or the baby will have a blowout or whatever. And then all of a sudden they get back to, to feeding. Um, and then a distended belly. Like if you actually kind of look at your baby and just pay attention to their belly, um, a lot of times if they've got gas, their belly will be a little bit distended or a little bit harder than what their normal belly is like. Okay. So similar though, to the reflux about the swallowing air. Yes, absolutely. So I I would say that gas and reflux go hand in hand. I mean, really, it all goes back to quality. I I would say gas is even more heavily dependent on quality feeding as well, Um, making sure that your baby is having a good quality feeding and not swallowing a bunch of extra air. So for example, this is so I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if your kids ever did this or if you've heard of this, but a lot of parents don't realize this clicking. When you hear click a clicking sound at the breast or with a bottle, what that essentially means is that as your baby's tongue elevates and holds the nipple between their tongue and the roof of their mouth, mm-hmm. a clicking sound is them losing that connection and they're swallowing air. So clicking is just a very easy, if you hear clicking, I highly recommend working with a lactation consultant or a feeding specialist to kind of identify. It could just be a position change. It could be technique in a bottle. You know, there could be easy fix. But if you hear clicking, you can be pretty certain that your baby is swallowing excess air when they're feeding. Oh, I love that because that means everyone's going to start listening and that might be a, a cure, a key to adjust things that Absolutely. maybe it's helping with frustration. Cause I'm sure the baby's frustrated and the parents are frustrated. So, wow. Yes. I love that. I love something really practical and solid. So thank you for that. So or if a baby has gas, do they likely also have reflux or is it often one or the other? I would argue that it's, they go hand in hand. Okay. Now let's, okay. So I also know I didn't have this myself, but I know I've seen many of my postnatal students have to adjust their diet. In fact, I remember, oh my gosh, I had one friend, she was taking out dairy and wheat and there was something, I think in eggs. I'm like, what are you eating? Like what, what else yeah, are you eating? That's so, in everything. So how much would the breastfeeding parents diet influence a baby's gassiness? Is that, is that factual or is that just, I don't know. I've just heard so many people pull things out of their diet. 
It can definitely be a factor, but I would always ensure quality feedings first. So like I would not go to the diet first. I would look at the function of feeding and ensure that your baby is having really good quality feedings. Um, and, and to be completely honest, like, you know, and I hear this all the time with moms, they think feeding's going great, but then they come to me for gas or for reflux or because their baby is not sleeping. And then we kind of peel back the layers, the layers and explain, let's look at feeding first. And, you know, this is what is going on with feeding. And then we address those things. And then their baby is magically less gassy and sleeps well. Right. But it was, so I, I always go back to ensuring quality feeds first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there for a mom that there's a lot of interventions sometimes that can happen during labor and delivery and, you know, antibiotics. And so I think mom's taking a probiotic, especially if she got an antibiotic during labor and delivery, that that can be helpful because sometimes it is in the gut um, mm-hmm. and maybe we can pass some of that you know, good, um, that would, that would be helpful. Um, but an elimination diet is a good method. If you're concerned it's diet related, um, sometimes it's more than one thing. It's typically dairy, eggs, and soy are the top three. Um, you know, there's a lot of information out there about elimination diets. I feel like a lot of things get blamed on diet and we forget to look at the feeding quality first. Okay. So don't jump to pulling apart your diet first. So look at baby's quality of feed. Are they latching well? Um, how are they in general? And then start to examine that. Is that correct? That That's what I recommend because, you know, if you take away everything a mom can eat or, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's just, yeah. I mean, then she, you know, you might be less likely to continue breastfeeding or pumping or, you know, whatever, because you, there's nothing, there's you're hungry. nothing you can eat. <laughs> right. And so I think that there's a time and a place for it. Um, but I don't, it's never my first recommendation. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's helpful. So, okay, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to continue on our path of digestive issues and talk about constipation. All right. We're going to come right. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Okay, we are back. All right, so we talked about reflux. We talked about gassiness. Oh, I do actually have a question about gassiness. Um, Years ago, we used to offer infant massage at the studio. How does that, I know I said constipation, we'll get there in a minute, but um, how does that help with the gassiness? I remember doing like the circles kind of going around the ascending and transverse and descending colon, do these little leg um, jogging movements. Is that useful? It felt useful, but I don't know if that's actually just me thinking it was helpful. Um, I am a big believer in craniosacral fascial therapy or body work. Um, Okay. Do you know about that? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for explain it for those that don't. Yeah. So 
it's, it is kind of a hard, it's a hard, basically babies can hold a lot of tension. So birth in general, even if you didn't have what somebody else may classify as a traumatic birth, birth to a baby could be traumatic. You know, it's a small space that they are coming out of. Um, and I don't even know that traumatic is the right word, but they're, they may it's be quite born, a journey. It is. It's a journey. And they, they are born sometimes with tension. For example, you know, my, three of my four kids, I, had unmedicated births. And my last baby, most specifically, he had a mild shoulder dystocia at delivery. And he also had a um, anterior tongue tie, which, you know, we can, that's a topic for another day, but he was born. He, there were no interventions. He, there was no Pitocin. It was a unmedicated, spontaneous, natural birth, but he still was born with a lot of tension. Um, And that tension in his body and in his mouth and his jaw carried over into feeding. Um, and so when you have a baby that is really tense, a lot of times their tongue does not really function in an optimal way. So the tongue has to move out. It has to move side to side. And then the middle of the tongue needs to elevate to really create that seal for feeding, for having a good quality feeding. So if a baby has a lot of tension in their mouth and their jaw, All of that can carry down into gas, reflux, just being uncomfortable. And so craniosacral fascial therapy really works to release the tension in the body. Um, And in return, it really helps create better quality feedings. Mm. I've had it done. It feels really, it feels very (laughs) relaxing. Yes. Like like deep relaxation. Yes. Yes. So I've also had people talk to me about chiropractic adjustments for babies when they have that tight jaw. And I know sometimes when a baby has um, a vacuum extraction, much you know more common than forceps nowadays, but that can also cause tension in the jaw. That could affect latch as well, correct? Absolutely. Um, for sure. I think that for me and my, my experience, I would always start with the craniosacral fascial therapy because okay. babies are, if you think about, it, they're kind of malleable. Like if you're a member, yeah. I mean, they, so I don't know, you know, I think well, I would go to a chiropractor, like the one I refer to, he works very specifically with babies and it's very gentle. It's not like what you would get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, it's not, no, not babies head going, right. I think yeah. that would be very inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> no. And I think, I think what I was meaning more is that it's the work in the fascia that is more, um, I guess it's it, that is the work that I have seen really be most beneficial to when we're talking about feeding. No, I love um, that. That love more options, more options for people to explore what they have in their community. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. That. All right, let's talk constipation. <laughs> there wouldn't be a wonderful conversation about digestion for babies if we didn't talk constipation. So how can someone tell if their baby is constipated since breastfed babies may not poop every day? Yeah, that is, that actually, that is a pretty, you know, I would say, um, gray topic, (laughs) um, because really when I really a breastfed baby should be pooping every day. So if they are not, I thought they were not. Okay. Interesting. And if you Google it, Google will tell you it's normal that they don't poop for a couple days. But if you really go back and look at evidence-based research and kind of look at beyond just what Google is saying and what somebody wrote an opinion piece on, um, breastfed babies should be pooping every day. If they're not pooping every day, then my first thought, my clinical judgment is 
are they so tense and uncomfortable that they're not able to relax to have a bowel movement or are they not getting enough volume? Mm. So that that's kind of my, you know, that is what I have seen be the two, you know, again, every once in a while, if a baby goes a day or so without pooping, you know, maybe they did, there could be random reason, but in general, breastfed babies really should poop every day. Mm, Okay. Thank you. So then what are the signs of a baby that's constipated besides not pooping every day? Um, They're uncomfortable. Typically it's very similar to um, what we talked about for gas. So a lot of times um, they're not sleeping well, they are starting a feeding, but not completing a feeding. Um, You know, it, it can really just interrupt the whole feeding and sleep cycle. Mm. Um, you know, it may seem like they're straining. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not getting enough. It could just mean that they're just so tight and tense. And that's where I go back to that craniosacral fascial therapy. It is so helpful. If you have, if you are worried that your baby is constipated and you know that they're getting enough volume, then I think your next step is to go get some body work. And see if that, and do those exercise or infant massage, like you talked about those exercise, those manual exercises that you can kind of do to help promote bicycle legs, um, is helpful kind of moving them around. But I think there's just two, you have to kind of look at two root causes for why your baby may be what you perceived as constipated. Interesting. So I keep coming back to the cranial sacral work because again, I've, I've had it. I had one woman who did it and it was amazing, but if I remember correctly, and it's been a few years, I think she had one hand at one point on my sacrum and then another point right around kind of that occipital ridge. And I remember something like, are you feeling movement? What are you feeling? How do you do that with a baby that might be squirmy? So I think that's a really good point that you bring up. So there's a difference between craniosacral therapy and craniosacral fascial therapy. Ah, okay. Thank you. So yes. So craniosacral therapy, it sounds like that's what you experienced. The craniosacral fascial therapy, at least in my area, um, I only refer to occupational therapists, physical therapists, people that really know, maybe a chiropractor could also, cause they know the body, but they are, do you, they are doing, um, deep movements and moving the body in ways to kind of naturally stretch and release tension. Um, so I actually just posted a reel on my Instagram account at baby settler, um, of an example of a baby that was in my office getting some CFT. So um, he's kind of leaning back into what we, his mom's legs and what we call the guppy pose. And you can kind of see the movements that she's doing on his cheeks to release tension. Um, so I think that, that, does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. I was just picturing, I'm like, how do they get the baby to stay still? I know. Yes, you're right. It's two different, it's two different things. It's absolutely Thank two different things. Thank you for explaining things. that because I, I did not, clearly I didn't know that. So that's very helpful. Thank you. So with all these issues, when should somebody check in with their care provider? When are they going beyond, okay, I talked to a lactation consultant. We looked at the latch. Uh, I'm doing, you know, the belly massages. They're doing the cranial sacral work. At what point do we say, all right, we need to make sure the care provider is involved? So I, I have always, I think as soon as your gut tells you that something is wrong, um, you should reach out to your 
are you talking about like your pediatric the pediatrician? Or, yeah, yeah the your pediatrician. pediatrician. So as soon as really, as soon as you feel like something is wrong, I think the hard thing is, is that the way that our healthcare system is set up, um, you don't get that much time a lot of times with your pediatric mm-hmm. provider. And so even if they want to, it's just not set up for them to be able to sit there and like triage all these things and everything that that you say. Um, and so my hope is that your primary pediatric pediatric provider would then refer you to the experts that are in these specialty areas. So that could be lactation consultant, speech language pathologist, occupational therapist, chiropractor, you know, physical therapist, craniosacral fascial therapy, but they are kind of serving as, okay, I hear you. I see these problems, but I don't really have the time or honestly, even the expert knowledge to be able to help with these specific problems. Uh, And I just, I think that's really important. And I know sometimes people don't experience that from their pediatric provider. And I think that's really sad. Um, But my hope is that you know, I think you should reach out as soon as you feel something is wrong. And if you don't get the um, information, you know, if you don't get the support that you need, then look for, you know, look for a second opinion or kind of look in your area to see if there's somewhere else you could get another opinion. Yeah, I feel like there's something you said at the beginning that made me think about not a brush off, but this happens with pelvic floor PTs too, that someone will say, oh, my baby's a little gassy and they may hear, oh, but that's just so normal. Cause when we talk, there's a difference between common and normal. It happens with like pelvic floor issues. Like, oh, I'm peeing myself. Oh yeah, you had a baby. Of course you are. But it doesn't mean that. So it, it feels like it could be dismissed, but what I'm hearing you say, like you're, if your baby's having this, we need to examine why it's not just, you know, that's just what babies do. Yes. And that, what you just said is the key is like you, there, there is a reason why. So you need to find the reason why, (laughs) um, just not be absolutely like look for the root cause of what is causing this symptom. Don't just deal with it. Cause that could be, that could be frustrating again for everybody. If the baby is incredibly uncomfortable, the whole household's going to be affected. Absolutely. I mean, for sure. Feeding affects sleep, sleep affects feeding, and it's just a whole cycle. So it, and all of that affects every part of family life, right? Yeah, absolutely. A cranky baby because it doesn't feel well. Oh yeah. It can, we can go down a rabbit hole with that. Is there anything that you want to add, or I should ask about the reflux or the gassiness or the constipation that we haven't touched on? You know, I don't think so. I think going back to the constipation, I kind of focused on newborn and for your listeners, if there is anyone that has a baby that's a little bit older, um, constipation, once you get introduced solids and you're kind of six plus months old, um, babies will can become, even breastfed babies can become constipated in those times because they're decreasing their fluid volume. Um, you know, maybe they're eating more solids. Um, so kind of some tangible things is just making sure that when your baby gets close to that six month mark, you're starting to offer them water, you know, and refer to your, your pediatric provider for like the volume of that, but making sure that they are practicing the skill of drinking water so that when you wean from breastfeeding or you wean from bottle feeding, your baby's older than a year old, whenever you decide to do that, if they're not getting that fluid volume, you know, via breast milk or formula, they're getting it with water. Um, dairy, a lot of times can be a huge constipator for babies that are not used to seeing dairy in their diet. So like 
six to 12 months. Um, and then trying to avoid like rice cereal is actually not helpful for their gut. That causes a lot of babies to be constipated. Um, and then really ripe bananas are really good for, for babies that are experiencing constipation. So just like super ripe bananas that you can, can feed to them. Oh, these are great suggestions. Thank you. Okay. We're going to take another break. And when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? We'll be right back. So you have four kids. You're an L and D nurse. You're a lactation consultant. There are so many places you can pull from for this. So what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? I think I'm going to really focus on what we just talked about. Um, you know, if you ask your healthcare provider a question, whether it's, you know, your OB or your pediatric or your primary care, if you ask them a question and you get an answer that leaves you with more questions, it's really okay for you to ask for a better explanation or even ask them why or how they came to the conclusion that they're giving you. Um, because you understanding the why behind the recommendation is really going to empower you to make the best decision for yourself and your family. Mm, I really like that. Thank you. Where can people find your work? Yeah. So we, I would love you to join our community over at baby settler, um, on Instagram. And then I have a YouTube channel, the baby settler. Um, and then I have a new book coming out in October. Um, it's called babies made simple, the modern mom's roadmap to navigating the overwhelming baby stage. So you can go to our website, babysettler.com to find out more information. Oh, congratulations on your book. Thank you. So wonderful. We will make sure all of this will be in our show notes. This was so great. Thank you. I really appreciated your explanation of everything, as well as practical advice for parents that are experiencing this to take action, because I bet a lot of people feel a little overwhelmed and a little helpless. And you really gave some great info. So thank you so much. Absolutely. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.